coming up on the Front Page Football Podcast. A bonus episode from Cody Ajada and Matt Olson. We had to do something ahead of the game tonight. If you don't know about what I'm talking about, um, then, I mean, what? how big is the rock that you've been living under? But in all seriousness, this is just a monumental uh, moment for Australian football, for Australian women's football. Um, the Matildas, of course, taking on England tonight. Um, I am hoping to be at the Fan Festival uh, in Adelaide, and yeah, I just, it just it's just going to be just, just no words, no words. There really is no, no, no words to describe what this kind of last few days, week has been. Um, I've been struggling to find them uh, myself, so I'm going to let Cody and Matt do it instead. So, um, without further ado, I'm a usual host, Christian Marchetti, but of course, Cody Ajada um, is hosting and doing doing a good job. I'm going to give him some praise this time, doing a good job hosting these podcasts. So, without further ado, Cody and Matt on right after this. you beautiful people welcome back to another episode of the front page football podcast it is another world cup edition but it's a bonus world cup edition because this episode is purely matilda's watch what a fantastic game that was against france my voice is still recovering from that game and we're talking we're three or four days out now like that's how intense that atmosphere was that's how beautiful that game was and i hope wherever you're watching it whether it was in the stadium at a live site with your mates at a bar in the lounge room, wherever it was. I hope you enjoyed it to the full extent of what it could be because we are witnessing not just one of the greatest moments in our football history, but possibly one of the greatest moments in this country's sporting history. Now, as always, I am joined by my favorite co-host. Sorry to everyone else at Front Page Football, but me and you, Matt, we, we have something good going on here. We've got the Front Page job. We had the World Cup down under. It is everyone's favorite women's football joy. Matt, how are you doing today and how good was that game to experience? You know, a big part of this World Cup experience has been the pleasure of being around you so much. We were there for, you know, our, our grand final end of season function for, for Christian's birthday. Uh, we were there together in Melbourne and we've, we've had the pleasure of now doing Brisbane. So um, I guess Sydney next, right, Cody? <laughs> Matt, are you coming down? I'm trying, <laughs> trying to secure a spot. It's is this is this for England or is this for the final if we're potentially no, this will, this will, Well, look, obviously tomorrow like, it's it's not necessarily feasible. Um, it'll have to be for a potential final. Uh, and given your Spanish roots, I just can't even begin to imagine how hectic that is. So, you know, and, and you know what? You know what? Yeah, I don't know if you remember seeing this on the news, but I remember when Croatia qualified for the 2018 World Cup final. There was a Croatian-Australian who, who caught the country's media attention because he secured a ticket and just flew to Russia in like two nights. So it's it's doable. It is doable, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you what, that ticket resale site is one of the biggest nightmares I've ever had to experience. So if you can work your I've way through that. that. I've loved Are you kidding me? Are you serious? <laughs> Sitting, so see, look, the queue, in the times that you have to be in the queue, my advice is, Go at a time you think no one else is going to go, and the queue is really not that long. I've only been in like four or five minute long queues. See, it helps start. that you live so, in Perth, and when you log on at like ten o'clock at night, everyone else is on the part of Australia where people live yeah. are asleep. Yeah, that's no, that's that's a very very good point. Um, 
to be honest, I, I think I probably could secure a ticket by like by like Thursday or Friday. The big problem there is how the fuck do you book a flight in forty eight hours? I don't think you realistically can. So if I'm if I'm gonna actually like pull it off, I need to do it. Like if I'm <laughs> if I'm comparing my experience with the ticket resale site, buying a flight is a lot more straightforward. That's saying something because no, there's one well, thing I've learned in the last what, four do weeks. You know what, I've cheesed tickets on the resale because I only had I only had the Perth games and the Matildas game in Melbourne, right? So I I I the, initially that was all I bought, and I cheesed my way into a quarterfinal. It is possible. It is possible. That is nuts. You you could go day of honestly. Just go put, plan your day around just being around the vibe of the city at the final, and then yeah, possibly even, yeah, that's it. Even if I fly up. to Sydney, even if I fly to Sydney without a ticket and hang out with the rest of you and have that experience because. I think Christian will, Christian will be there as well as far as sort of the FPF sphere of influence is concerned. Antonis will then, be down. That's someone else listen, we should be talking about as well. Antonis yeah, has been yeah, enjoying course, this World Cup with us Antonis, as well. It hasn't just been us two. Yeah, it's interesting though because we're obviously going as fans and Antonis and Christian are obviously both the, the two that, that have been sort of accredited, right? So for for them, they're getting a whole other experience where, you know, the, and you can see Antonis in that viral photo of Mackenzie Arnold, for example, right? But with, with us, we're going with the active, you know, we still obviously, we, we had our bit on the news as well, which was, which was wild, but. Front page I mean, football's favorite women's football duo on yeah, seven news. Yeah. And I, you know what? When that lady shook our hands, why didn't, when she, cause she asked for our full names. I guess they, they had the intention of putting it on a graphic, right? Would have been the perfect time to be like, oh yeah, we're local journalists. We, we work in the A-League. Like we could have just said that, but no, we didn't. So <laughs> we we're plugging it now. Channel seven, if you're listening, they, we are the people that you spoke to. Come speak to us again. We are a hoot, and clearly, uh, you guys listening might disagree, but I'd like to think we do kind of know our stuff. Anyway, we really should get into what's happened in kind of the last, you know, 48 to 72 to 96 hours. I think that's what four days is, 96 hours. And it, it's just been intense. Like, even that whole lead up to the game, the whole week after beating Denmark to people talking about, okay, how the hell are we going to watch this France game if, oh, we've got to go to the AFL. Oh, we've got to go to the rugby. Oh, we've got to go to a wedding. But people have made it work and other sports have made it work. And I've never experienced a time growing up in Australia where other sports are kind of setting themselves aside, whether it be because they want what's in the best interest of the Australian population or because, you know, they may be worried about their own self-interest. But no matter what the reason, the fact that other sports are trying to accommodate this Australian national football team and for it to be the women's national football team just makes it all the more special. It, it it's nuts. It just like look. I'm I'm being serious when I say this. I know it's it's almost like a bit of a cliche thing to say, especially as as people that are directly involved and have, have travelled and fought the tournament and have been around the tournament for for basically a month at this point. Like like it it's not it's not going to sink in. It's it's not that that is like that's just the fact that the footage of you know of like quarter field MCG. With a notice that says to continue watching the Matildas go to the TV screens inside the stadium. And then the footage of diehard footy fans with their Melbourne and their Carlton scarves going limbs like they, like they're at a football stadium. Cody, like that, that was, that wasn't supposed to happen in this lifetime. It wasn't supposed to happen in the next five lifetimes. It's, it's, it's just, <laughs> it's not, it's not there. It's not there with me mentally yet, you know? I think, I think that's a crazy thing. Like, you know, we always talk about how long these things take to sink in, and it won't be until we look back on this maybe five, ten years down the track where it's like, oh, holy cow, that happened. And that's what I mean, like the whole lead, the lead up into that day. Like, well, I haven't even spoken about the day at the fact that that happened. The fact that 
just the AFL were willing to accommodate it. And, you know, we always talk about the Code War sort of stuff, and that did spike when Caroline Wilson made her comments. And we've spoken about Caroline Wilson before. She doesn't really deserve that much mention. So that that AFL journo, that other AFL fans hate, that said some different things that, you know, maybe in another situation would have incited a Code War, but everyone's just kind of sitting there going, even on the AFL side of things, going, what's the point? This is great for Australia. This is great for Australian sport. It's great for women's sport. Let's just put the rivalry aside and enjoy this, you know, beautiful thing that's happening in front of us. Obviously, like I said, you know, maybe it could have been because of their own vested interests and they're worried if they don't show the game, people might not show up to watch Carl. No, no, by by, all, means, at by all. all means, from, from what I've read, and I don't know if you have read any press on it, but by all means, FIFA and the AFL have actually gone as far as to have boardroom, boardroom meetings over this because the AFL, yeah, the AFL and, uh, you know, a lot of sporting authorities in Australia, they, they just understand how big it is. But I think you know, from a boardroom and an admin level, these organizations, knowing that FIFA's massive, they, they're getting quashed by FIFA at the moment. And here's, here's something that, that I don't think a lot of people thought about. And, you know, like, who cares? It's happened now. So it's not something we need to talk about. Like, it's a big, big concern. But obviously, like, for example, Cody, FIFA's main, one of FIFA's main sponsors, uh, Hyundai, right? The, the car company. The AFL's main sponsor is Toyota. So you've got Toyota advertising boards while FIFA have given permission for this screening of their event with Hyundai ads. So they had to black out the ads on the LED board at the MCG. Just stuff like, stuff like that. And that's where, that's where the commercial size of FIFA against the AFL, they simply said, yeah, by the way, Hyundai gives us X amount of money. And the AFL went, oh shit. <laughs> so, so like just small things like that, right? Like that is, that is where the AFL had to bow down and be like, yeah, soccer. We, we love it. We, we've always loved soccer. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've said, I believe I said on the last podcast, I've definitely said it somewhere on record recently. I do believe football is already the biggest sport in this country. You see how people get behind our national teams when they're playing. The only thing that's not really as big is Australian football in terms of the A-League men's and A-League women's. Once we get our shit together at that level, you know, football is going to be a dangerous prospect for anyone in this country. And, you know, I think what we've seen over the last few weeks, and then if you cast your minds back to the Men's World Cup as well, you're seeing football at its full potential. And, you know, it's only exciting moving forward. But the actual game itself, we kind of had mixed views on it. I think we both kind of thought the Matildas would get through this, whether they could or not. You know, it was, it was different. I think we had different expectations on how likely it was to happen. I said we'd get through on penalties. I, I, I'm happy that we kind of did it, but on the other hand, the, 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 my, it wasn't good on my health. Let's just put it that way. I definitely suffered through that penalty shootout and I was not expecting it to go to 20. The longest penalty shootout in World Cup history, either men's or women's, which funnily enough, the record was actually the USA and Sweden only a few days before that, which I thought was quite interesting as well. Um, <laughs> you're lost for words, aren't you? Yeah, no, it's it's just you actually you actually caught me sort of drifting off thinking about something else that I I wanted to mention. Um Thanks, when 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 you were talking about sort of you know that people people do identify as you know fans of soccer, right? Um and you know, I just I think back to you know hearing Michelle Heyman talk about the fact that the 2015 squad were paid basically nothing. 
you know, I, I just uh, I'm more than happy to, to shout out the FBF piece that's that's come out uh, as well with the, the my interview with with Steve Darby, um, and you know, like that that guy, he he's someone that like, he wouldn't have known that football existed in Australia and New Zealand were it for you know a few Aussies being on his um being there when he was getting his coaching badges in in the 1970s. Um, and yeah, I just think about how, I mean, this, this moment for us, sure. Okay. You know, obviously the, the Socceroos run of 2006 was when we officially sort of went onto the map, but for, for this to actually sort of be finally happening on home soil and for us to visualize it and see it. And then you get the weird romantic stuff like that, like the weird, the weird records where it's very common for the winner of a women's world cup to win a penalty shootout, uh, when they win the tournament. And uh, Sweden, England, and Australia have have done it. Spain haven't, which makes tonight's result even more of an interesting factor. But just man, man, things like this weird fairy tale shit is starting to go away, and that's where I'm. I'm just like, I actually just need to take, take a moment to really conceptualize what's happening here because, like, it's just it's too much. It's too much. Well, look, going through that game as well, I think the biggest thing that I said was kind of about the mental fortitude and the pressure that was going to be on the Matildas in this game. And it was a unique kind of pressure where, you know, it's not like the Canada game where we're, our backs are to the wall. It's do or die. If we lose, it's one of our worst World Cup campaigns that we've ever had. Definitely the worst one we've had since 2003, where we could, that was the last time we didn't get out of the group. Yeah. Suddenly, you're facing a, the prospect of making history. And it's a different kind of pressure where it's not about what's going to happen if you lose, but what's possible if you win. and Credit to the Matildas, in that situation, they probably played, you know, maybe besides the Canada game, we're on par with the Canada game, the best football we've seen from them at the World Cup. I think the Canada you know, result came... You know, what, what really what really gripped me was sort of paying attention to the stats on my phone, um, you know, on, on Optus and Google and stuff, sort of sort of seeing the, the impact that certain players were having. And I couldn't help but notice uh, around the sort of, Early period of the first half, I believe it, it had sort of signified that France were out shooting Australia nine to two. They were obviously firmly on the back foot, but that's fine. That's how Tony G and, and this Matilda squad have sort of learnt, learnt to play and learnt to play well on the counter, right? For, for some unknown reason, and I don't think there's very many scenarios where they would have done this, and I don't know what sparked it. But you know how when the second half of extra time and the second half uh, of the match started out with us basically going straight from kickoff to having an attacking opportunity created, sparked through uh, Mary Fowler on, on both occasions, I believe it was. So that attacking pressure was just sort of kicked into gear from nowhere. We went from being outshot 9-2 to two to at one point outshooting France 13-10. to 10. Um, and that was where... Lucky you follow the stats. I wouldn't have had a clue how yeah. I was progressing. No, 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 no. Because I, again, I just wanted to, I just wanted to keep an eye on, on what the route to victory for uh, the squad was. Given that France had already, they'd already lost 1-0 to the Matildas previously, right? They knew it was going to be this type, this type of game. But, but the thing is, so did, so was the Matildas. And, and again, until that sort of attacking pressure had, had come forward from the Matildas, and they were, and they were really sort of, you know, amping everyone up and, and really like the, it, it, something else. <laughs> Sorry, not to go off on a tangent, but with, with that added attacking pressure, something that I've never, you know, for a sport that is t- typically boring in the eyes of many Australians, 
the just the tiniest little touch or a pass going our way would happen. Cody, you and I were in that stadium. We can attest to this. People lost their freaking minds any time, just the slightest little thing. And they don't they don't have to be the most tactically, you know, switched on people. They just need to see that the ball is going our way. And they were just going berserk. And it was just like I've never, never in my life thought that they, that this would be happening on Australian soil. And to be honest, like yeah, I've I've been to I've I've seen every Australian group that was hosted at the tournament. I've obviously been around for most of, of the of the campaign now. And and what gets me is like I'm still sitting here thinking, yeah, this is just a this is just a game of football. I go to football games all the time. I, I still don't think I've actually conceptualized that people are reacting like this because they know there's a World Cup on the line. This is a World Cup. <laughs> I it still it still needs I still need to like double check that it's 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 happening and that it is you know, happening in the in the fashion that it is, and and like, yeah. What what else? What else can you say about the fact that we we wouldn't have done that if the game was held somewhere else in the world? And and in my opinion, anyway, if if the crowd wasn't so ready to see us succeed, it's 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 quite interesting because you know you say we haven't seen scenes like this where it's hard to conceptualize it. The fact that we're you know in front of a crowd that may not be as tactically switched on or tactically nuanced as, you know, your traditional football fan. But we've said it before as well, no, nothing rallies a nation like a World Cup or an Olympics. And when it's the Olympics, obviously it's a great sporting event, but your passion spread thin across, what, 30 different sports or something, yeah. both men and women. We're now able to direct all that passion into one group of 23 girls, 11 who are only on the pitch at one time. And it's creating something that's, you know, truly unique and something that we've never seen before because we never have these games on home soil. Yeah. You know, we talk about, yeah. this, we can, we can compare it to Zocaris in the sense that they've got to go through a whole qualifying process for the World Cup. They play half their qualifiers in Australia. We have plenty of chance to see them play competitively. When it comes to the Matildas, a lot of the times we say in play in reality, hmm. we, we very rarely get to see the Matildas play competitive games on home soil. So the fact that, this is one of our best chances to see them actually play a competitive football match and it's on the scale of a World Cup. That just mm. makes it all the more special. That makes this what it is and it's why people are getting invested in it because they want to direct this and, passion. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people talk about winning teams growing with the tournament and how it was a trait that Spain, Sweden, obviously the USA before they got knocked out, you know, people were saying that that's how they would they would do, that they would grow into the tournament. And I think it's it's funny because we actually have felt a whirlwind of emotions in that we've sort of grown with the tournament as well. And I think I think that that adds to the fairy tale narrative of it as well. But but also you know like the, this the the weird like it's 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 almost like I'm I'm saying this from the perspective of we are about to win a World Cup when obviously look there's no there's no guarantee. But I am noticing like the small wins have been going our way as well. The fact that Ellie Carpenter and Katrina Gorey both had penalties. That like nine times out of ten, I think would have missed. <laughs> Carpenter's is deflected off the post. That could have gone in any which direction. You know, Gorries is Gorries is uh, basically got a hand been to saved. Okay, Kepa got a hand to it. Yeah, she she saved. She's Durant has essentially saved that, right? Um, and and that's again, it's just one of these many factors that we talk about. Where you know, look, listen to us right now. We're we're basically just having incoherent. <laughs> Well, not incoherent, but we're, we're, we're rambling about it in, in all, in all manner of different ways. And I think it's just because there's just so much of it to take in and there's so much of it to analyze that it's just crazy. 
Well, look, going back to the actual game, and you spoke about the fact that you mentioned Mary Fowler before, where from a kickoff, she will be the one that kind of leads us forward. And it did feel in the sense that we almost weren't trying to take the ball forward and hold possession. It was just more to gain territory on France. But when you have a player of the quality of Mary Fowler come through and come charging at you like that, it really is something special to watch. You know, coming into this tournament, I wasn't sure if she was actually going to be a starting player. Obviously, we all know that she was a good player and that she had a bright future ahead of her. But looking at this tournament immediately, we I've, I personally felt her impact would be more off the bench. She's come into the starting lineup. And right now, she looks like, not even arguably, she almost looks like our best player in a way. It may yeah, be a bit well, of a stretch I mean, because we've got a lot of, we've, we've got a lot of players that have been performing, some of them at the best of their career. But Mary Fell, I think it's just, it's not even in terms of her output. It's just in terms of the ability that she's shown. It really is something special. It, it, it's just, it's the, the individuality and the expression in attack that very few players have been able to get a grip of in a tournament scenario. And I think where Mary Fowler has been able to excel in maybe the theory here is a little bit sort of far-fetched, but you know, she's in a very competitive environment in Man City where, as we've already sort of touched on in a previous podcast, you're learning a lot tactically and you're becoming really, really skilled as time goes on, but you also constantly need to fight. And so the fickle nature of the tournament scenario where you're always under pressure, some players can very much crack under that pressure because unlike a 30-game season where you can always make up on, on the small mistakes, you know, you, you, you're really going to feel a mistake and it will really, really affect you and it will really, really affect your team. But because Mary Fowler's in that Man City environment where she's not always guaranteed to start and the world's very best players are in that environment, I think that that has been of paramount importance to Australia's success. In what way? You're constantly competing. You're constantly in that fickle. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So because she's always kind of fighting for her spot in that team because she hasn't really gotten many minutes this year. No, no, no. She's always she is always fighting to prove herself as the best in the Manchester City uh, sort of squad, and as a result, that need to constantly prove yourself and constantly perform at a high level. You can see you can see where I'm sort of going with that, right? Yeah, no, no, I see now because I thought you meant like her being in that Man City environment was good in the sense of it's been able to build her, but I would have argued with the fact that she's hardly actually played. But when you talk about that in the sense where she's really had to fight for her spot since she's gotten there, and it'll be interesting to see how she moves on from this because if Man City don't want to give her the minutes, there's going to be another WSL club and another good WSL club that will because she's on fire at the minute. She's fantastic. She's showing a level of ability that's, you know, maybe more common with the modern day women's footballer, but something that's almost been very rare to see historically in women's football. I don't think there's been that many real technically adept footballers. And now you're starting to see players like Mary Fowler, Linda Caicedo, all those types come through where, you know, their close control and their, their ability to really manipulate the ball with their feet. It, it's something truly special. And it's something that we're able to take forward with us. And now, you know, 10 years down the track, we're more than likely going to have another player in the in the mold of Sam Kerr where they are the best footballer in the world or at, le- at the very least close to it. And isn't that just crazy to think about in that our player development our player development is, is going to grow to another level and I think whereas Mary Fowler playing for Adelaide United in front of 40 people at a local sports park somewhere, you know, I, I, I'd wonder what that actually does. I mean, 
you've already seen. No, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm just sort of segueing, moving the conversation somewhere else. I hope you don't mind, but it's been the name of the game. We're we're all over the shop tonight. For anyone wondering, we came into this port. We don't have an agenda today. We are <laughs> we are we are purely it's talking. Matilda's, it's Matilda's off the cuff. <laughs> um, but look, you've obviously seen the news, Cody, that uh, Sydney FC's membership record for women's memberships. They've already broken it. It's winter. It's still winter. <laughs> and like, like this is where I think if, if, if I dare even try to suggest that the quality of the profile of the A-League W grows, you know, what, what this does for, you know, the environment in that particular competition being of paramount importance to players who are trying to learn to perform at a really high level. I'm not necessarily saying that the A-League W becomes the women's Super League overnight. Of course, I'm not saying that. But I'm, and I'm saying that, you know, you're already, you're already performing at that elite level when, you know, as a lot of girls in our programs are, you're 14, 15, 16. That's, that's massive. That's massive. And, and clubs, clubs in England, clubs in the US, clubs in wherever else has that important domestic foothold. You know, obviously the domestic clubs in Spain are rising. The domestic clubs in the Nordic countries are always, you know, they, they treat their female programs sometimes better than their male programs. I mean, we're, we're talking about the the Australian A-League uh, being just one of those leagues that you have to look out for in order to have talented players. And it, and it, and it means in the future, dare I, dare I go as far as to say this, we, we get Australians playing in really far-flung countries as like the hot prospect of an entire league. Australian players could become the face of an entire league. And it's just crazy, isn't it? Well, yeah, look, I'll circle back to the A-League women's later. I, I think that's a good conversation to have, but we'll, we'll focus on the actual match a little bit more because there is still so much to kind of go through with it. And even the result itself, I'll go back to my prediction where I did say one all, maybe a little bit of a cagey affair and then winning on penalties. And if you look at it on paper, nil all, seven, six on penalties, it probably does look like it did come out that way. But you watch the actual match. There were so many chances either side. Mackenzie Arnold really stepped up massively, even in the 120 minutes before the penalty shootout. You look at how the way France defended between Mary Fowler, Caitlin Ford, Hayley Rasso, we were, when we were able to go forward, we were peppering him. But they came up big as well. The number five, I can't remember her name for the life of me. I do apologize. But the goal on clearance that she was able to pull. Sorry? The Almeida? Lucky you're switched on. But yeah, the, the goal on clearance she was able to pull off as well. No, that, that was a, that was, you, you look at the XG on that, that's probably what, 0.99 or something stupid like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, 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 she had no right to save that. And the way she did it, the way she was able to fling herself across the goal, that's a world class stop. That's fantastic. Other end, like I said, Mackenzie Arnold, there was probably three or four saves that are genuinely good saves. And it wasn't just something that kind of came at her that she was able to deflect, like genuinely full stretch moments sort of thing. Um, similar to Musovic against the USA. But there's, there's so much to take about that game because you look at it. And like you said before, there's probably a lot of people that are new to football that aren't less tactically nuanced watching that game and realizing, oh, even when it's nil all, there can still be this really good attacking display. And even, and even in a low scoring affair, there is still a lot to love about the game. So from one, on one point of view, if I really want to look at this in an analytic point of view, the scoreline doesn't really show how entertaining the game it was. And then if I want to look at it from a cultural point of view, so many people had the potential to really fall in love with the game on Sunday, Saturday, yeah. Saturday. Yeah, no, you, you, you're 100% correct. And, and I mean, yeah, 
it's 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 just one of those things that again I, I think the analysis your analysis there is is on point, but I think we would both respectively be able to give this you know a spot on analysis of of, of moments like that after just a bit more time. I think properly reflecting on it is when you really take a lot of that in. Um, but I, I think you're also right in that you know I just I remember a quote. Oh no, I've, I've forgotten his name but there was a, a british guy who worked for the espn and he made a similar comment about sort of how a lot of people in the u.s learned to love football when the, you know the u.s women's team or even even the men's team when they've had some really good runs think of the brazil world cup you know south africa where they topped the group where you know like a stereotypically boring game has really encapsulated and, and caught the nation's attention so you know from, from that perspective yeah I'm, I'm not surprised i think it was a very very good nil nil draw but a big part of that was to, to go back on what I've said before, that shift in momentum. And I think what, what is an incredibly intriguing prospect, um, if you don't, can I, can I just segue to England? I, I might as well, if, if you would go like for to it. go that way. Yeah. Um, you know, England are going to be in a position where they sort of already know and have already experienced a lot of that counterattack and they, they're going to be ready for it in its own unique way. I said in relation to France, you remember I described it as doable, right? My reference point for that was the fact that we literally had just done it in Melbourne a few weeks prior, and we, we didn't have any problems with the counter-attack counter being equally as efficient. Here's the thing with England, right? When we beat England in, in London, and this was within the last six months, so like it's equally as important as a reference point. When we beat England, there was the whole matter of sort of Leah Williamson retiring and, you know, there's, that's the big question for Serena Vigman to, to fix up, right? She's already sort of gone and done that, but she's also in a unique opposition, uh, proposition, um, with the fact that the squad, uh, because of Lauren James' unfortunate sort of red card stomping incident against Nigeria, she's, she's in a position where she's had to make both the expected tweak for this game and also the unexpected changes. And I feel like it adds up in them playing and setting up completely differently with a lot more knowledge of us in our game uh, than any of the preparation that would have gone on for that game in, in London. And that's where I'm sitting here thinking England have, England have probably got the upper hand there. But the reference point is also true that Tony G's set up and the counterattack that Australia looks to impose when when asked upon to be attacking out of nowhere I mentioned the fact that we outshot them nine to one after said point in the first half. We can we can swap that around and we can change that, and you know we we're gonna have seventy five thousand people on our side, Cody. So really, what's to say that it can't switch over like that, and you know the the, the finger can't be sort of clicked and we're we're ready to go. Um, I think it's a really really interesting talking point going into the game. It is definitely an interesting talking point going into the game. We'll talk about the game in a minute. I do want to circle back because there is one last part we've got to talk about that France game, and that is the penalty shootout itself. I did mention it did break, you know, uh, it did break a record for the longest penalty shootout in a World Cup match. And some of the, the way that some of the players stepped up as well, I think there's a whole lot of little storylines that were going through it. And you even said it to me after the game. Every time someone stepped up, you could see a story behind it, whether it be, you know, you talk about Courtney Vine, the, the A-League star coming into the World Cup, feeling that imposter syndrome. To then coming up and winning it. Uh, Katrina Gorey, when she stepped up to keep us in the game, obviously returning after 
you know, she's given birth to Harper. I think it's almost two years to the day now. I think that'll be, yeah, to the day when this podcast gets released. You know, she was, she was adorned as the Matilda to look out for by none other than Julie Dolan herself. So the legacy and the torch very much being passed there. All exactly. these things. Going uh, on. Mary Fowler, even when she was going up for the fifth penalty, no, fourth penalty, sorry, one that really kind of needed to keep us in the game as well. Someone very young had this immense pressure on her as a 15 year old when she, we, we didn't know what national team she was going to choose and being forced into that situation so young to now coming into this. I don't even know if she's taken a penalty in her career and to step up at such a crucial part of a penalty shootout and probably take the best taken penalty of that whole sequence of that, of that whole shootout as well. I think that part was quite interesting. It was an absolute thunderbolt. Oh, it was beautiful. Mm. And then Mackenzie Arnold, obviously on the, in between the sticks, not taking the penalty. Well, she did take one eventually. She did end up taking one, but you've said it before on record. You said it to me, God knows how many times coming back from that era of the 2018 Asian Cup. To, that coming back from being on the wrong end of that 7-0 defeat against Spain, who she very well may be playing on Sunday if all things go well tonight. The turnaround she's experienced in her career is nothing short of remarkable. So there's so many, like, there's so many social and cultural things that we can talk about mm. in terms of the actual penalty shootout. Mm. But then on top of that, I said before the game as well, we've got this pressure on us that's nothing like we've experienced before where you know, we have the possibility to make history. And each, the further we went on in that penalty shootout, the higher that pressure became because we were taking a second 90% of the time in that penalty shootout. We weren't kicking to win the game. We were kicking to survive in a way. It wasn't until Claire Hunt stepped up. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to put it away. That's another person we can talk about whose story was coming into that if she was able to win the game for us being a debutant only at the start of the year. Then Courtney Vine obviously had her chance to win, which she was able to take. There's so many things that come around, and it comes back to that whole, you know, these girls are on the verge of history, and they stepped up in a way that maybe a lot of people weren't expecting it to. There would have been a lot of people that were expecting them to, but in a way that is truly special for this country. How do you say Aussie DNA in Swinglish? Uh, it goes on about the never say die attitude, to be fair. It's... It's the same phrase, just using different words. It's two people's different style of play. If, Graham if Arnold anyone, if and anyone Tony- listening to this, if anyone listening to this happens to have Swedish heritage and knows Swinglish, please translate Aussie DNA, whether it be on, on Twitter, you know, in the comments on, uh, on Facebook, you know, Instagram, send us a DM. Seriously, I want to know. <laughs> I'm going to get tattooed on my body. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Aussie DNA that we have though. And I know it's more a term reference for the Socceroos, but. You know, the Matildas do have it as well, where it's this, you know, beautiful thing where it doesn't matter what situation we're going into, what game we're going into, what opponent we're facing, where that care factor goes. And it's like, we're here, we're going to play our game. We're going to execute it the way we want it to. And it doesn't matter who you are. We're going to step to you. The only difference being the Matildas are able to combine it with this technical ability that the Socceroos unfortunately don't have. And these world-class players that are playing week in, week out in some of the best leagues in the world, where we're able to create this beautiful combination of, um, how do you say it? Like both good football, good technical football and this high work rate that's hard to compete with. Yeah. And you know, I, I think these, the sort of hardworking never say die attitude is something that really is embodied by, by the team as well in the, you know, especially without Sam, right? There, do they have attacking prowess? <laughs> of course they do. You're not one of the best teams in the world without it, but in the, 
you know, everyone says it and it is inherently true that they prefer to sit back. And that is just so, that's also what I find really fascinating about this being an Australian team, because I guess it actually, if you want to talk about, look, the curriculum in, in Australia was built on sort of the Dutch system in the early days. And something that's been crossing my mind a lot is, is, you know, people talk about this Japan win over Spain where they won 4-0 and, uh, you know, the Japanese style of football, you know, was actually implemented in that game in that since the 1990s, when Japan, Japanese football professionalized, they have built a standard. When we talk about Aussie DNA, because we have spent year after year after year after year after year, whether in the OFC or the AFC, being a country that plays on the back foot in tournaments, that is Aussie DNA. That is the Australian brand of football. It's to sit on the back foot and still possess attacking prowess. And that, for me, is something that not only this team of proving can be done, but the Socceroos went and did it in Qatar as well. We've, we've actually built that for ourselves. And we should acknowledge it. We it's quite interesting. It. And I, I don't want to say, I don't want to talk about the fact that we're always on the back foot because, you know, some people aren't really a fan of that. But one thing I think we, we've taken from, and particularly this tournament as well, what excites Australians more than anything is when we have the ball and we're looking to push forward and we're looking to attack as quick as possible. We play a great transition game. And, you know, we did talk about being on the back foot. The reality is that the possession in that France game was 50-50. The possession in the Denmark game was a little bit closer to 50-50. I don't know the exact stat off the top of my head. But we're not exactly sitting on the back foot and letting the opposition have all of the ball. We're still able to hold on to it and make a good account of ourselves. And the Matildas are very good in possession as well. We've got two of the best ball-playing centre-backs that I've ever seen in the women's game. And Claire Hunt, once she gets a move overseas, and you've got to understand it's coming. If it doesn't, teams overseas are doing themselves a disservice, not looking at her. But you can tell she's a world-class defender and a world-class ball-playing defender. We've got these technically adept players in the Matildas, and we combine it with a style of play where, yeah, and maybe we've switched away from wanting to have all the ball, wanting to hold all the possession, but we're playing a more exciting brand that probably makes it more synonymous with the amount of people that are getting behind it because all these people are coming from sports where it's all really go, 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 except for maybe cricket. But you're, you're bringing fans from that you're giving them a style of play that maybe they don't see in other areas of football, but the Matildas have really been able to show it. And maybe that's contributing to how the nation is rallying around them. Freddie, you're not a big fan of cricket. You know we're about to play England, right? <laughs> we were about to play England in a World Cup semi-final. Someone um, made a joke about the Ashes to me, and honestly, it went over my head, which no, no, was no, kind of no, sad. But, but, but hold on, but hold on, hold on. All right. Whether it be Daniel Ricciardo, an Australian Formula One driver driving for a team based in Milton Keynes, whether it be, you know, um, our achievements in, you know, traditionally Commonwealth sports like, uh, like rugby union, for example, whether it be the British population in Northern England that plays rugby league when their teams come over here and beat us in the international club challenge, you know, more sort of Olympic sports like the rowing and things like that, where Australia and England have had their fair share of, of competitive teams over the years, things like the America's Cup sailing. Like it, it actually has, it's on our flag for goodness sake. It's been ingrained in us for over a century. Be beating England, you ask anyone, and especially because of the amount of casuals following this tournament, Cody, this is, like this is just off the, off the scale big for Australian sport. And that's something that you might want to well, touch on. So. No, no, let, let's get into that now because really that's the next, um, situation that's facing us. And the, the significance of this isn't lost on me. 
Australia and England, no matter what facet of sport or whatever facet of life, there is that inherent rivalry simply because of our origins as a country as well, which is a whole other ball game that we probably won't get, we're not going to get into on this podcast. But no, I won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a massive game. And we've spoken about the pressure going into the France game where you're on the verge of history. Now you're on the verge of an even bigger achievement. And on top of that, you've got this culturally significant rivalry that transcends football, that maybe even transcends sport. It's mm-hmm. going to be an immense level of pressure for the Matildas, but and, there's and- still not that sense where it's still not in the way of if you lose this, you're a disgrace. It's in the sense of you've got an opportunity to do something uniquely special. Whereas the England, they're European champions. They've come into this World Cup arguably favourites. I would have had them over the USA from the start. You know, yes, they've had their injury issues. Yes, they now have Lauren James suspended. They are a little bit depleted. But in reality, they should be winning this game. And a lot of fans overseas would, overseas, a lot of fans at home for them would be expecting them to be in the final and winning it. So they have the expectation to go through, whereas we have the possibility to do something special. So both nations have this unique pressure on them, but in completely different ways. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. I'm not, not sure I agree. I would actually go as far as to say that with the momentum and with the expectation of, sort of the casual fandom, I would say you ask most Australians, they say we're going to go through to the final. Um, but that, do you think that's a realistic thing to think about? Yes. Well, why wouldn't it be? Okay, okay, okay. You don't, you don't get to a World Cup semi-final. No, 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 no. That's no. It, that's it. I, I think up. you didn't understand what I was trying to say. Okay. When I say realistic, obviously it's realistic that we can go through. But do you think it's a realistic thing to say we definitely should be going through, we should be the favourite? Yes. Yes. Why? We've 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 advanced enough. We've grown with the tournament. We've overcome adversity and setbacks, and we are actually, Cody. We are playing like one of the best teams on the planet. We 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 are. We we've overcome. We've overcome a lot. Fact fact of the matter was, I wasn't far off saying that the campaign was disappointing, and that it was at the point of the Nigeria game. When they showed up for that Canada game, they became you know a, a pretty elite squad in their own right. They walked aside Denmark fairly routinely. I would go as far as to say the round of 16 win was, was quite routine, especially when you looked at what was happening, you know, on, on the bench for Denmark. And here we've seen a France side where we've, we've known how to go about that game and we've executed, executed the plan really well. We, we've established ourselves. Uh, look, yes, the tournament's on home soil and there's all the amenities that come with that. But Cody, you're like, you're in the last four of a World Cup. You are an elite team. Of world football. I'm not denying, I'm not denying this Matilda side as an elite team. And I think it's very realistic that we could go through. We've got every chance of beating England. And but I think I'm not going to sit public, here and say public we and should be. The football community should expect it. It's really? an expectation. It has to be an expectation. I don't think it should be yeah. an expectation. If, if we lose, if we lose this game against England, will you be disappointed in them? Yeah. yeah yes. I, really? I actually think I actually would go as far as to say because because here's here's another thing and I know I know it's not completely at odds with your argument per se. In fact, I'm, it might even be slightly in agreement with with your sentiment here. But you know, we don't actually know when we're going to get this opportunity again. I think a lot of the more senior names in the team won't be around in 2027, and that is something to factor in as well. So I think I think it's also like last chance for the golden generation of the Matildas type type feel about it as well, which actually isn't that far-fetched of an argument when you look at it historically as well. 
See, you, know, I, I, you say golden generation. I say golden generation so far. And I know a certain, you've obviously met Kiri Nyap. We've spoken to him yeah. on front page dub. That's, mm. that's a phrase that he uses all the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and look, but, but also the fact that we could have another golden generation in the future, right? That's indicative of the fact that to go back to my side of the argument, we're an elite team and we should expect to be able to go to a world cup and win it. See, I don't think we should have that expectation just yet, though. I don't think no, we should but, be but looking on, at this on, and saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. I still think it is. I still think now again, it's a bit of a bit of a crazy thing to bring up now on the eve of a semi final, but I think 2023's generation shapes up better than 2027's. And I just look, I know, I know names like the maybe in a sense, yeah, 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 but it's, it's a rid. We should be, we should eventually get to a point where we're going to walk up and go, yes, we're going to win this. But we're also, this is the furthest we've ever gone at a tournament. We, if you look at our squad yeah. compared to England and Spain, on yeah. paper, we're probably still that little bit behind them. But I, I'm not look, saying think, this as I a, as a, because of all the stuff that happened behind the scenes prior to 2019 and where that campaign became a bit of a mess, right? Let's say we live in a world where we're in the quarterfinals in 2019, right? And again, you, you look at the historical data, it backs it up. That would be 2011, 2015, 2019, we made the quarterfinals, which would therefore make the game against France that we just won the minimum expectation for the tournament, right? And actually, I've got to be honest with you, it probably still was the minimum expectation. No, I'd agree with you on that part. Making which the quarterfinals is the minimum expectation, but to go one step further is already making history for this squad. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%, so why, 100%, why, 100% why would it be disappointing it if we can't then go so that step why, further? Why you're telling me that the only difference between the minimum expectation and the goal of the tournament and what we should say is good enough for us as a footballing nation is to just simply play in the game or is it to win the game? In the quarterfinal? No, in, no. So the quarterfinal, as we just, just established, that's the minimum expectation. My minimum expectation was to make the quarterfinal, not even win it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're in the semifinal. What do we like? This is what I'm saying. That's the minimum expectation. So, what is the ultimate goal and the ultimate expectation of that team if it's not to win a World Cup, like you're saying? Every if you're going into if you're going into a World Cup, not trying to win it, yeah, you're yeah, you're already you're wasting space. I understand the, the part. Like, what I'm like, saying is, but, what I'm saying is this idea of it's going to be disappointing if we don't beat England. We've made history with this squad. We, we've gone as, we've gone where no other Australian senior national team has gone before. Mm-hmm. This is something that we should be proud of. So if we go into this game against England, put up a good fight and maybe fall a little bit short, should oh, we really be disappointed? Yeah, but yeah, look, but hold on, hold on. That, that is, that is circumstantial. And I think the interpretation of this game and its legacy is obviously circumstantial because if we play bad and get whacked 3-0, yeah, it's going to be massively disappointing, right? That I understand. No, no, if we go and we look out of our depth, that's not a good look for us. Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's not. But let me let me just sort of get on with with the other side of that argument, right? It is the furthest that we've ever gone, but it also goes to prove that because this is the generation, this is the team, this is the scenario where we've done that. That should ultimately mean we have just as much quality to go and win. And because we've had the conversation about us being the elite team. And because there's the circumstance of it being a home World Cup, and because you know, and so on and so forth, there's there's a multitude of, of different arguments you can make. I go back to the fact that Golden Generation, the Caitlin Fords, the Sam Kerrs, they were playing all that time ago 
in the 2011 campaign, the Trailblazers of China Row 7. Claire Polkinghorne was in that team. So okay? was Lydia Williams. So now it's their time. Now it's their time. Yeah, yeah, Lydia Williams as well. Now's their time, Cody. So, like, yeah, I, I think the expectation, the expectation should actually be to to, to go and win it. It's just, it's just that's a heavy expectation. But like, I, I don't necessarily think it's that far fetched at this moment in time. It's not far fetched, and I, I, I want to preface this: I don't think it's far fetched that we could possibly go and win a World Cup. This squad has every ounce of ability to do that, but. I'm not going to sit here and say we're guaranteed to, and I really think we're going to go to. If I if I think if I had to say who I thought could win the World Cup, if I had to put a pick, I, I said the Matildas. I will admit, but I, it doesn't mean I'm expecting them to go on and win it either, or I'm going to be upset if we get knocked out in the semi final. I'm I, I will still walk away from that stadium a happy man, especially if we go and put in a good performance. We, I think there's look like I said, we've got this pressure where we're on the verge of making history. I think that's what it all comes back to. And if we don't do that, uh, are people going to turn around and go, oh, okay, yeah, this World Cup campaign was a disappointment? I don't think so. Okay. We're going in circles now, aren't we? No, no, no. I, 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 I you know what? You know what? It was, it was a fun debate. Can, can we just circle back? If there's, if there's other stuff you want to discuss, that's fine. But just the, the more that the tactical side of it again, because I sort of went on that massive rent in the middle of nowhere. We've come back and then it sort of spiraled again. So just, just to touch on, on the counterattacking style of football and why that's important in a game like this is that England's attacking threat has also been dismantled. And it means that they're going to in a similar mold to playing out of the back and, and having a lot of, um, you know, pressure and, and emphasis on sort of the center backs controlling play from, from the back from an England sense. It's going to be all the more crucial with the fact that they know they don't have the prowess going forward. And I think this game is also asking to be quite tense. You know, maybe with an early goal, it doesn't turn out so tense for, for either side. But what I would say is where we might actually end up being in a position where both teams want to sit back. And that's kind of scary to think about. And that can have really bad circumstances. Where do you, where do you sit on that? They, I think England still come at us. I have this. I do have a funny feeling England will want to stamp their authority on the game. They know they're going to be in a, in a stadium where the crowd is majority majority going to be against them. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to make sure they get control of that game as soon as possible. The funny thing is that does kind of play into the midfielders' hands because if the, if England are trying to commit numbers forward, you're creating space for the likes of um, Rasso, Ford, Vine when she's introduced, Fowler. There's a possibility Kerr starts in this game. That's a massive in for us. So it's interesting, actually, because if I had to say something to your point, that actually kind of put, would put your opinion over mine. If the Matildas want to win this World Cup, the next two sides they play are actually kind of the perfect sides for them in terms of their style of play. There is this real possibility, and it's exciting. I just don't want to sit here and actually say I expect them to go on and win it. I hope they do. I think they can. I don't expect them to. And if they don't, there's still a lot that I'm going to be proud of in this tournament. That's probably where I'd end that conversation. Yeah, there is one more one more thing um, because I concede that yeah, look, both teams do have their preferences uh, preferences to sort of play from the back. Look at me blurring my words up as per usual, um, but there is there is one thing that's kind of stuck in my mind, and it's a point that I've made made a few times. So let me make it one more time um, on the verge of a very important game, Cody. 
New Zealand came out and played at a really high intensity, they were rewarded with that win on opening night. To reflect back on the France game, if that kickoff doesn't happen where Fowler's taken the ball and within half a millisecond, she's advancing forward, the lanes are being created, we've got an attacking opportunity, and that sparks a nine-shot turnaround on on the scoreboard. You know, like for me, that's where I'm thinking, oh, wow, we should actually maybe start the game with a really high intensity. But I'm also sitting here thinking, no, that's not what Aussie DNA is. So, like, there's a million and one things to really factor into how we can control the tempo of the game. And, yeah, for me, you know, I, I think England England will want to do that just to sort of get the foothold and to get those stats on the board and to sort of prove their ascendancy. So, for me, the game, like, especially if it's the type of game that where there's not a lot of goals, it's just as importantly one in the first 10 minutes as it is one when that late goal goes in if the game is very close. Do you know, do you know what I mean? So <laughs> that's where I think the tempo is going to be the winner. The tempo wins a World Cup semi-final, and that's a massive thing to say, but it's sort of been proven true throughout the tournament. Um, we'll end the chat there. I want to move on. I want to kind of say... I, have, I want to make a bit of a point about how we're going to move on from this tournament as a whole because this is a, a Matilda's podcast for today. Like like I've said so many times, this side has already made history. This side has already done so much more than what, maybe not what we expected, but so much more than what, not even what so much more than what we could have dreamed of. There's already so much this side's achieved. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So if I want to talk about two things, and Matt, I'm going to give you free reign, and I already know this is a dangerous proposition just to kind of talk about anything that comes to your head. One, I, I want you to sum up how much this World Cup has kind of meant to you from a cultural point of view and from, you know, just a football lover's point of view. And two, what's your dream for the legacy of this tournament? How do you see the sport growing from here? Can we save, can we save it for a final? Can we, save, can we save it for a final? Because, because I'm not, I'm, look, I made the mistake in an A-League press conference of asking the coach to summarize what it's like to be playing for a final spot in round 25. He simply turned to me and said, the reflections are for later. So, uh, and I can't believe I've just quoted Ruben Zadkovic of all people on this podcast, but the reflections, the reflections are for the final, I think. Um, let me, let me do something else because I, I think the conversation you want to have is still a very powerful conversation and should always be had. Let me go back to the fact that we, we have this piece coming out on the eve of the game with Stephen Darby, right? This is, again, just something that speaks to the growth of football and especially the growth of women's football so wholeheartedly in the country, okay? Even in the dawn of the professional era after China 07, after the formation of the W League, women's football was still treated very badly, even though the government money was coming in and even though the support was always there for, oh, yeah, we have a, a women's national soccer team. They're playing really well in these tournaments. By the mid-2010s, the team was as popular as ever. We know where it sort of snowballed from there. Let's spare a thought for the women that paid, they paid money to go and represent their country from their official formation in the early 1970s all the way up until the mid-2000s. 
That is over 30 years of having the honor of representing your country, not being paid a cent for it, and, you know, still being the, 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 the player and the individual that puts your body on the line, that gives your role to represent your country, to have pride in the jersey, you know, all of those incredible things that sport can be, especially at the international level. And the fact of the matter is, the name Angela Iannotta, it doesn't mean anything in Australian society. The name Cheryl Salisbury, it doesn't mean anything in Australian society. The name Julie Dolan just barely means things in football circles. It doesn't mean anything in Australian society. So look around. Tell yourselves, the name Steph Cowley, now it means something in Australian society. The name Ellie Carpenter, now it means something in, in, in Australian society. In 2027, the name Sarah Hunter is going to mean something in Australian society. But do yourself a favour, please. Go to your Googles. Go to your Wikipedias. Have a five to ten minute read. Read who these women were. Read about the trailblazers that they were. Read what they did for their sport and for you know womanhood and all these great things. But most importantly, you know, just embrace what they did for the country the exact same way thousands of people are going nuts at the MCG during a freaking Carlton game for the Matildas. Because in another life, in an ideal life, they were doing that in the 1970s when Jezelenko was taking screamers at the MCG. They were right there on their tables watching us play freaking Chinese Taipei in an... In an you know, in an Asian Invitational Tournament because the world didn't even have a FIFA Women's World Cup yet, right? You know, so so that's it. Just just embrace what's brought us to this point and embrace who the trailblazers were. That's my message. Matt, you always know how to put things in an emotional sense so, so beautifully. And it's, 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 it's a unique trait and it's something that I am, I think, front page football and anyone listening to this podcast, anyone has the pleasure of listening to these should be thankful that we do have someone like you championing this game and the women and women's football in this country. That is where we're going to end it. I hope you view this podcast as almost organized chaos because I think that's kind of how everyone's mental state is after Australia and France. I know I'm still on a high. I did go back to work this week and honestly, I, I don't think I've ever been happier to be in the workplace because I've got people coming up and talking to me about, Oh, how was the trip to Brisbane? How has the World Cup been so far? And I have never had those conversations before at work. So it's, it's so, it's still so surreal. You don't know how long it's going to last for. Hopefully it does last a long time, but whatever it's happening, I'm going to savor it. Hopefully you're all savoring it too. Like I said, that is where we're going to end it. Matt, I know you did kind of end it on a high note, but do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah. Um, enjoy yourselves and, uh, hopefully we're all scrambling to book tickets for a Sydney weekend. Even if you don't get. Um, tickets to the final of the Matilda the playing, get down to Sydney, enjoy the vibe of the city. We don't know when we're going to have a World Cup final again in our own country. You know, talks about having the Men's World Cup, but then maybe we share it with Indonesia or Singapore. And if they get a final, we don't know what we're going to experience in the near future. So enjoy this tournament for what it is. Enjoy this moment for what it is. And if you do have that golden ticket to watch the Matildas at any of their final World Cup games, go there, be loud, be passionate. Ride these girls home and whatever happens, be proud of them because what we have achieved in this World Cup, no matter what happens from here on in, it's historic, it's beautiful, and it's something to tell your grandchildren about. So get a part of it, get amongst it, do whatever you can to ride these girls home because we don't know where this is going to go. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we're, you know, as much as I said, it shouldn't be an expectation. This may be one of our best shots 
in a long time of winning a World Cup and the fact that it's on home soil and the fact that so many of us are going to get to witness it, it's truly, truly special. Take it for what it is. Get out there. Enjoy yourself. Live your World Cup experience. I'm Cody Ajita. I've been joined by Matt Olson. This has been a special edition of our World Cup series, a bonus Matilda's Watch episode. Hope you've all enjoyed it. Do apologize if it was a bit chaotic, but frankly, that's been our mental state since Saturday because it's just been such a wonderful time. We'll see you in the next one. We have one coming out later this week where we will go through the rest of the tournament, the quarterfinals, the semis. There's still so much to talk about, and we will be previewing the final. Hopefully the Matildas are there, but if not, we have a third-place playoff to talk about too. We'll see you then. World Cup crazy, bro.